salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. We've got, as always, a huge show for you. Of course, my beloved Tennessee Vols getting swamped in the swamp by the Gators. Of course, we've got just great matchups that happened in the NFL over the weekend. We've got, of course, another great cause for charity that was happening. And again, it shows, again, deep, deep down, no matter how much we all can't stand each other in the world of college football, good things happen when fans get together. And of course, wrestling, everything else going on in shibbles and bits, we're going to break it all down, as we always do. Of course, we got to start this week with everything that happened in a just huge weekend of college football. When you look at everything and everything that's gone on in the world of college football with me, your humble host, Michael Shibley, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, never forget that, that I am here. But you've got all the teams now. We are third of the way through the college football season, which sucks. That's... I think one of the things why we love, again, college football so much is because you blink and we're already 33.33333% over with the season. And it's like we've spent all this time guessing about what's going to be happening. I mean, look how long we were talking about previewing the college football season, and now we're already a third of the way done. And of course, Trey Pack and I will do a bigger in-depth dive into some of these games and previewing everything coming up next week. So check that one out. Of course, that one will be released on Friday. But my goodness, you look at everything, and even now, a third of the way through the season, you've pretty much got right now, as I look at it, you've got eight teams that truly, truly have a chance at the college football playoff. There's a couple of teams with an outside shot, and we'll get into those here at the end. But you look at all these teams, and most of them, by far, Four of them are in the same conference, the SEC, because of course they are. But you look at it, and I'm going to break it down pretty much by what my thoughts of ease of getting into the college football playoff when you break all of this down. My top team that, besides a just tremendous collapse, I think is really going to make it, is Clemson. Uh, Right now, the uh, college football power index for what have you They've got them at a 65.7% chance of winning out. I mean, their toughest tests were a couple of weeks ago when you had uh, Texas A&M and then Syracuse. Those were their toughest tests, really, when you look at everything. We'll have to see. If Virginia's able to stay competitive, I don't think Virginia's going to stay undefeated. I'll tell you that right now. But if Because they struggled, again, with ODU. Uh, and again, but if you're another team in Virginia and Virginia Tech knows this firsthand, just don't schedule ODU. Those guys are wanting some revenge on those other Virginia schools that pass them over. But anyway, Clemson, it looks like as the Vegas prognosticators look at everything, Clemson will be favored by at least 17 points in the rest of their regular season matchups. So, again, barring them stubbing their toes somewhere along the line, Clemson, I think, is going to be in the playoff. You look, then my second team... Maybe this is just me uh, getting just bludgeoned to death as being a Tennessee fan, but I've got Alabama most likely in the playoff again. They've got a 24.7% chance to win out, which is the best in the SEC. The offense is just really rolling. Now, they haven't really played anybody yet. So, again, some of these other teams on this list have definitely played 
a lot more stiffer competition so far, but I'm I'm not going to doubt Nick Saban, and I don't think anybody out there in the college football world is going to doubt them at this point. But again, the biggest stuff is going to be at the end of November. You've got LSU, who of course is looking like world beaters right now. They're coming. Uh, that game's in Tuscaloosa on, of course, November 9th, and then at Auburn to wrap up the regular season. And then you have the SEC championship game, which is probably going to be against Georgia, but hey, Florida is still undefeated. So again, we'll just have to see how all that shakes out. Number three, I've got Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts, he's still awesome. He still just knows how to win football games. He was 26-2 and as a starter at Alabama, and now he's just kept everything rolling at Oklahoma. He's running, he's passing, he's doing everything. It's been great. But you look at what Oklahoma still has. They still have pretty much the thick of their Big 12 schedule to go. Of course, the game that looms largest is the one that happens at the Texas State Fair in the Cotton Bowl. It's Texas on October 12th. You've got at K-State, you've got Oklahoma State, you've got Iowa State in there, and then one of those teams, probably going to play them again in the Big 12 championship game, probably Texas. Texas, of course, one of the teams with the outside shot, one of the best ones with one loss. When you look at it, if Texas just runs the table, they'll probably be in, but I still like Oklahoma over Texas, at least right now as we're a third of the way through the season. Ohio State, I had Michigan, of course we talked about this, I had Michigan winning the Big Ten and possibly getting into the playoff, and of course they fell on their nose, we're going to talk about all that here in a minute. My goodness, they just fell flat on their face against uh, Wisconsin. But I, Ohio State, that's who we're talking about here first. They haven't really been challenged yet, Nebraska has got Coming into the horseshoe on Saturday, game day is going to be there. Shows, again, not the biggest slate coming up this next week. Uh, Best uh, team coming in next week is going to be Tennessee because they have a bye. They can't lose on the bye week, so that makes me feel a hell of a lot better. But you've got Wisconsin coming into the horseshoe on uh, October 26th, Penn State on November 23rd coming to the horseshoe, but then at Michigan. But who knows what mindset Michigan's going to be at the end of the season, the way it's shaping up. But all the big ones, it looks like for Ohio State, at least right now, all their big games are happening inside the horseshoe. So that's going to help them. My goodness, their players are just, their offense is just insane. Of course, they played Miami of Ohio, we're down 5 nothing, and then just blew them out of the water at that point. I mentioned Wisconsin blowing out Michigan. They're winning, of course, just the way Wisconsin will always win games with great defense, and they've got one of the best defenses in the country right now, and they run behind a mammoth offensive line. Jonathan Taylor, also a great running back. So no matter who you've got at your offensive line, Jonathan Taylor is going to make them look even better. My goodness, he is amazing. Of course, they've got a tough road because there's a lot of ats on this schedule when you look at everything at Ohio State uh, again we mentioned that October 26th at Iowa at Minnesota and of course a Big Ten championship game quite possibly but again Iowa is still undefeated so again you're going to have a slog through that Big Ten West schedule but Wisconsin looks like my top contender out of there. Now we move to the other teams in the SEC. Georgia took care of Notre Dame, but not as convincing as a lot of people going into this thought. I mean, the line, I think, was 14 and a half, and they only won by a touchdown, and Notre Dame had a shot at the end. Uh, 
you know, to 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 take the lead or win, you know, win or uh, tie and force overtime, what have you. But they didn't. Georgia, what an incredible atmosphere also down there between the hedges. I thought that was just a great atmosphere for college football. It's great to just watch other teams doing so well when you look at Tennessee and how we're just absolutely struggling. It's it's tough. But Georgia, definitely out of these teams, also in the SEC, because they're playing in the SEC East, they look like they have an easier path at least to get to Atlanta. And it's not, of course, a bed of roses for them by any means, but they do have Florida in Jacksonville, the old cocktail party. They have to take care of business there. And Florida, again, with their backup quarterback, Trask was looked really good. Again, it was Tennessee that they were playing, so it's we'll have to wait and see as they get into the meat of their schedule. But hey, they looked really good there, and they always get up for that. I mean, that game's a big, huge rivalry game down there. Uh, of course, they've got at Auburn, which is going to be their big road test to uh, go through the regular season, and of course, the SEC championship game if you get to that point. LSU, they finally have an offense. My goodness, it has been fun to watch Joe Burrow and company rack up points. And, of course, the LSU fans racking up bar tabs because the story came out that there was a bar in Nashville at 9 o'clock on the Saturday, and it was a noon kickoff there at Vanderbilt Stadium. That bar was already out of vodka. So my hat's off to the LSU fans drinking Nashville dry, which is good. Uh, of course, a lot of Tennessee Titan fans probably drinking Nashville dry too. What an awful performance the Titans had against Jacksonville. Ugh, speaking of that, wow. What a terrible state of football the state of Tennessee has right now. My goodness, with the Titans and the Vols. Ugh. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Uh, Tennessee playing lousy will do that to me. But one of the things you have to look at with LSU, they did give up 38 points to Vanderbilt, which can raise a lot of questions. And again, they've got Florida October 12th. They're coming to Baton Rouge, but again, that's a big matchup there. You've got Auburn in uh, October, and then of course you've got the Alabama game on November 9th. So just, um, just again, mid-October to early November, that swath of games right there is going to be huge for the Bayou Bengals. And then the other Tigers in the SEC that at least I think have a chance. Not Missouri. They, they don't have a chance to make the playoff. You lose to Wyoming, you lose that opportunity. But Auburn... Man, big wins. They've got definitely the best pair of wins so far this season. Of course, the neutral site game against Oregon where Bo Nix came into his own. And then they did really well taking apart Texas A&M in Aggieland, which was a big one there. Bo Nix, again, he is a freshman quarterback. I don't know if he's all the way there yet, but he has been very clutch. So, when you have it where it counts, that can make up for a lot of it. But again, my goodness, we talked about this going into the season, the schedule that Auburn had, and that's including the Oregon and AM games that they've already played, but at Florida, at LSU in October, and then so and then at the end you've got Georgia and Bama coming to Jordan Hare Stadium in November. So you've still got four just gigantic games for Auburn, which is why I've got them in my eighth spot when you talk about the eighth best chance to get into the playoff. We talked about Texas already. I think they're my best one-loss team at this point, trying to get into the playoff. Notre Dame, a lot of people, again, saying, hey, Notre Dame didn't do themselves, you know, they might have even improved their position, losing 
at Georgia. And it's like, no, 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 no. They still lost the game. If they had won, Notre Dame would be sitting by far in the catbird seat right now. But they didn't. They lost. So, I mean, for them to jump Georgia, Georgia would have to lose at least once during the regular season and not win the SEC title. That's the only way they're going to jump Georgia in the pecking order. We'll have to see again how the rest of these games back out. But Notre Dame, again, yes, they can still make a very strong case as a one-loss team if they run the rest of their schedule. But Georgia's going to be sitting above them with that win. That's just fact, unless Georgia stubs their toe on the way down. You talk about the best team I see out of the group of five that has a chance to crash the party. It's not UCF, as they lost to Pitt. By the way, a hats off to Pat Narduzzi. I gave him a lot of crap last week, and rightfully so, for the just terrible decision-making he made in that fourth-and-goal decision at Penn State. Comes back this week after Pitt jumps out, I think, to a 21 to nothing lead against Central Florida in Pittsburgh. Central Florida comes all the way back. But then UCF uh, are defending the goal line against Pitt. They run the Pittsburgh special, where, again, the quarterback leaves just like the Philly special in the Super Bowl. The Pitt quarterback uh, wanders away from center. They snap it to the back. They flip it to a receiver. He throws it to the quarterback. Touchdown. Pitt wins the game. So a hats off to Pat Narduzzi after a terrible decision last week. He made an awesome decision this week to win them that game, and that is going to finally knock UCF out out of this conversation. So, and again, UCF has done some great things, but you you lose, again, to a Power 5 school like this. If they'd run undefeated, sure, they're going to stay in this conversation, but they're not in it anymore because of what happened at Pittsburgh. Looking into some other things that happened in the world of college football, Jim Harbaugh, has he just become, at this point, the most, I'm not going to say overrated coach, but definitely overhyped coach in college football. I mean, they started out that game down 35 to nothing to Wisconsin, fumbling again on their first possession. Michigan has fumbled on their first possession of all three games that they have had. They had a week off to prepare for this Wisconsin attack, and it is they didn't do anything for it. They got blown out in this one. Shea Patterson, it looks like, has regressed with what's been going on there. I mean, and then you've still got, look at this, you've still got games for Jim Harbaugh against Iowa, Michigan State, at Maryland, at Penn State. They've got Notre Dame, and of course, the game at the end of the year they always have against Ohio State. It's it's amazing to see what Michigan could be when a lot of people had very high expectations for them. Now, of course, they can rally, but it's not looking good for Harbaugh right now. I mean, in his tenure there, he's 1-9 versus top 10 teams. I think he's on the road against top 10 teams especially. He is not good. He has not beaten Ohio State. He's only beaten Michigan State once. So when you look at all of that, people brought him in as a chance to save the program. And is there stability? Yeah, there's definitely stability there with Jim Harbaugh. But when you talk about taking it to where they're paying him a lot of money to get them, that's not happening right now. And you've got to question that. Now, would I love to have Jim Harbaugh at Tennessee right now to stabilize things and make it better than, obviously, Tennessee at 1-3? and three? Oh, by all means, yes. But just the hype and just constant talk about everything and how great he is on all the networks, and he hasn't produced 
anything when it comes to that. All the high-profile matchups, he loses. So we're going to have to see. We'll have to see where the rest of this season shapes up. But watch it happen where going into the Ohio State game, Michigan's like 7-4, and and then this is when Michigan finally does beat Ohio State, which would not surprise me the way it has gone. But my goodness, Harbaugh has got to turn things around or Michigan might be looking for another new coach at this point. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 has probably already knocked themselves out of the college football playoff. Uh, Cal is the only undefeated team left, and they got there. Whoo! Some controversy there at the end of that Ole Miss game where it looked like from the angle that we could see the Ole Miss player uh, in, in the waning seconds of the game, he caught the ball in past the goal line for a touchdown to at least then give Ole Miss a chance at the two-point conversion to tie the game and put it in overtime. But the referee ruled him down at the one. They chose not to review it. And keep in mind, again, these were Pac-12 officials at uh, Ole Miss, but they chose not to review it. So with time ticking down, because Ole Miss did not have any timeouts left, Ole Miss had to try and run it in, and they got it stopped. And again, I was very surprised that they didn't even, and Ole Miss talked about the frustration with this, that they didn't even decide to look at it. Because with a game like that, you've got to look at something like that. It was right there. The only angle that we could see, and the only angle we've ever seen of that uh, play there on third down was at an angle where for us, it looked like he was in. Now, yes, the referee's standing right on the goal line, but it you can look at pictures, really looks like he's in in there and after the Pac-12 officials you know screwed up and didn't call the leaping penalty on Arizona State at Michigan State you've got to wonder again what's going on with Pac-12 officiating and then Reggie Bush of course getting on Twitter and talking about bad refereeing and they need to get better refs in Uh, my argument with that will always be who at this point wants to be a referee you see, I've seen too many videos of at Little League games. We've talked about them on the show, Little League games and high school sports where parents and fans are just physically harming referees and you've got to come up through those ranks. No, thank you. I'm not doing that. So again, you're going to get what you're going to get at this point. So they're going to have to come up with better ideas than that. Uh, also, of course, Utah, and we talked about it, Last week on the show, Trey Pack and I said, if Utah wanted to be the flag bearer for the Pac-12, you're going to have to win at USC, and they were not able to do that. Utah always seems to have a really good defense, but their offense just doesn't seem to be where they need to be to get to that next level and be that on a consistent basis, and Utah loses on Friday night uh, in the Coliseum. Washington State, they were another undefeated team. They were up 49-17 to Chip Kelly and struggling UCLA, and then it ends up with a basketball score, UCLA winning the game 67-63. to My goodness, what a just ba- basketball on grass, as it used to be. Pat Tiller used to call it that at Purdue. 67-63, well, I'll be interested to see what the score of Washington State-UCLA is going to be in basketball coming up this college basketball season. Uh, Oregon, uh, of course, looks strong. They do still have that one loss to Auburn, but if they can run the table, they can at least make some noise. And Washington State, if Eason plays well, they can go very far. So we'll have to see where all of that goes. But right now, it looks like the Pac-12 is, again, going to be on the outside looking in 
when it comes to college football playoff time. And meanwhile, of course, and we're going to go down in more depth uh, this game, the Tennessee-Florida game, but the Vols, just an atrocious performance. Again, losing 34-3 to at Florida. The, the defense, again, 34 points, but the defense kept Tennessee in it long enough for the offense to try and do something, and then finally they just ran out of gas by the end of it. But my goodness, Garantano, again, just looked awful. Some of the decisions he made were just, I mean, some of the swing passes where these are basic things you need to do, and he wasn't able to even make some basic swing passes again. I mean, they need to just stop doing those swing passes because obviously they can't do it. And then, of course, the big one is, and I question, the the only coaching question I have was why not at least try and run it once when you're down at the one-yard line there, uh, Tennessee going in. Tennessee could have been up in that game 14-10 to 10, just with the turnovers that they were able to force and some of the good plays that they had, but they could not get it in the end zone. They threw it. It was deflected off Juwan Jennings, who has made some so many great plays, and he made one bad one there. But still, Tennessee fell behind. And then, of course, there was the pass to Dominic Wood Anderson, who is wide open, and Garantano just couldn't hit him, completely missed him. It's like he's got clear sailing, 80 yards for a touchdown, and just absolutely missed him. And right before that, they get called for delay of game penalty coming out of a timeout. What was that? That was just bad execution there all around by Garantano in the offense. That was frustrating. Again, we'll have to see. Of course, Maurer came in and started the second half and led Tennessee on the drive that got them their only three points of the game. So we'll have to see. This bye week coming up for the Vols, they're going to have to figure something out or it's going to be a very, very long, long season. I mean, after this bye week, you've got Georgia, and then you've got Mississippi State. Mississippi State is pretty much, I think, a circle the wagons game when it comes to what's going to happen for the rest of the season. If Tennessee can come out of that game and somehow win it, that could at least make people feel a lot better because it's at Alabama the week after that. And then, of course, you run into the back end of the schedule. Missouri looking a lot better than I thought they were going to be after week one. But then you still have UAB, you've got Vanderbilt, you've got Kentucky. You can still, things are still open, but they're going to have to figure some things out on this bye week or else it's going to be quite possibly, and I never thought we'd have another bad season like we did two years ago when we lost eight games for the first time, but it could be three and nine, two and ten, or one and eleven the way it's looking. And it could just get to that point before it starts to get any better. We'll have to see. And, of course, we'll break this down much more on the Friday show of Modern Day Gladiators as, of course, the other expert of college football at the Outlander Media Network is going to be Trey Pack, and he will be here for that. Of course, let me thank, before we go to break here, we've got to thank, of course, Otherworldly Coffee. Great coffee. Just, I love, again, Mothman and, and Bigfoot, all these different blends. I just love the idea of what they've got there. It's great coffee. Of course, if you go again to otherworldlycoffee.com, use the code OUTLANDER at checkout, and you're going to get 20% 
off your order, which is just phenomenal. I mean, that's going to cover your shipping and taxes right there. So be sure to check them out. And of course, we got to thank Joe Shirt at joeshirt.com. Any ideas you've got for t-shirt designs or banners or mugs or anything, you can go to Joe Shirt. Check out Joe Shirt Deluxe. They've been doing business in Knoxville for over 30 years. They're great. The t-shirts are just amazing. And again, we've got merch coming. I'm going to keep saying that until we have merch. But we've got merch coming through Joe's shirt, so be ready for that. And, of course, you can check out all the other great shows at outlandermedia.net, where you can subscribe. You can check out, of course, Geeks Inherited the Earth, the new show with uh, Cody Kitts, J.C. Ratliff, and Mike D. Great guys, all of them, good friends with all of those guys. And, of course, Halfle, where Trey is, Deadbeat Radio, uh, Scared Stupid, DLC Respawn. Again, just amazing shows on the Outlander Media Network. And again, check them out, outlandermedia.net. They're all right there. You can listen to them all at one place. Or, of course, wherever you get your fine podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Check them all out. And whatever you do, wherever you listen, please, as always, like, subscribe, share, get the word out, as always. Because, again, the more five stars and comments that you make and share the word with us, the more listens we can get, the more downloads we can get, you can help us take over the world like we're trying to do. But that's going to be this first segment. Thank you guys again for listening. We're going to take a quick break, but we're back with shibbles and bits and everything going on in the world of professional wrestling. You're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, you hear the music, ladies and gentlemen, and of course I've got all my stack of stuff here for everything going on in the sports world. It's time for Shivels and Bits. Again, your humble host, Michael Shibley, with you here. Of course, follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley, and of course, check us out on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook and Instagram pages where we post updates and different news bits that we can't immediately get to, and of course, when something big happens, we'll break in with some comments about that as well. So check us out on all social media that you can with Modern Day Gladiators. But let's dive right in to shibbles and bits. And of course, the big news coming out, at least in the world of college basketball, is the University of Kansas has been charged by the NCAA with a lack of institutional control. And Jayhawks basketball coach Bill Self with head coach responsibility violations. Of course, so much of this stems from the relationship with Adidas, with the you know pay for uh, pay for play things that have been happening and everything. Of course, I mean for those of you who don't know, Bill Self guided Kansas to at least a share of 14 consecutive Big 12 regular season titles, uh, three Final Four appearances, the 2008 NCAA championship. And again, he has talked about everything. Uh, it's Again, he, of course, wants the process to play out, but he doesn't believe he's done anything wrong, which, I mean, again, we have talked on this show a lot about players and, and, and stuff getting money off their own likeness, but when Adidas and some of these other shoe companies are using money and going through intermediaries, to 
get to that recruit's family to get them there. It's just very shady when it comes to it. Uh, you know, Adidas, the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, they're the company's fra- flagship program. 14-year, $196 million apparel sponsorship extension in April. Of course, you've got, you know, the criminal case, the federal criminal case that happened back in October. An attorney for the former Adidas executive, James Gatto, told a jury that his client approved $20,000 payment uh, to current Kansas player Silvio D'Souza, or D'Souza's guardian, rather, only after Self and Townsend requested the payment through Gasnola. And again, there's just a lot of stuff that comes through with all of this. And again, we'll have to wait and see. The NCAA, of course, has just, for so many years, never been able to punish the people that are there now. It's always people who have either just gone through the ranks or they're punishing people uh, there currently that had nothing to do with anything that happened in the past. And usually they don't even hit the big guns. The only school, again, to receive a death penalty in any of the major sports was SMU, and that was back in the late 80s, and it's because so much of that was because everything that happened with the uh, paying of players, I mean, that was blatant, it went all the way up to the governor of Texas at that point, so no wonder they were, but of course SMU had not been a fully established program from top to bottom at that point. So, again, we'll see. I doubt they're going to do anything drastic because, again, the NCAA can never catch anybody that's doing anything fully egregious. They don't have subpoena power. They don't have anything. So we'll just have to wait and see. And, of course, when rulings come out about that, we'll talk all about it here on Modern Day Gladiators. This is the last week of the Major League Baseball season. The playoffs, gotta love October baseball. Some of the best sports in the world Uh, Just great moments, of course, October. Just great as the NFL and college football seasons are in full gear. And, of course, postseason baseball. Some of the best in the world. Congratulations to the Yankees winning their first American League East title in what seems like forever. The AL Central is the only race, really, that's left in the American League. With the Twins, they've got a four-game lead on Cleveland, I think, with six games to go. So they've probably got that one wrapped up, barring a major collapse. Uh, The Houston Astros winning the AL West. The wild card, of course, still up for grabs. The A's are in with a game and a half. Uh, They're up on the Rays, who are also in with the second wild card, but they only have a half-game lead on the Cleveland Indians. So that's going to go down to the wire, of course. Over in the National League, Congratulations to the Braves and the Dodgers for winning the National League East and West, respectively. Meanwhile, in the National League Central, the St. Louis Cardinals have already clinched a playoff spot. They have not won the division yet. They have a three and a half game lead on Milwaukee. The Cubs are seven and a half back, so they're out. Of course, the Cubs had a chance to make a big play. They played the Cardinals over the weekend in a four game series in Chicago. And they lost all four games. So that was just awful by the Chicago Cubs. They're probably out of it when you look at the wild card. The Nationals, they're most likely in. Uh, They have a half game up on the Brewers for both of the the wild card spots. Uh, The Brewers are in, but the Cubs are four games back. So again, with six to play, it's going to take a huge collapse by the Brew Crew uh, to lose that one. So you're 
playoffs are almost set. Again, love postseason baseball. Can't wait to talk about it. And, of course, we'll talk all about it here on Modern Day Gladiators. Moving into the octagon, a a UFC fight that happened over the weekend. This was not good. The main event of UFC's return to Mexico City, it was a mess. Uh, The main event lasted just 15 seconds last Saturday after uh, Yair Rodriguez accidentally poked Jeremy Stevens in the eye. Uh, Stevens then unable to open the left eye after five minutes of recovery. The ringside physician told the referee to call the fight off. The fight was ruled a no contest. And again, stuff that happens when you've got the gloves that they wear in the UFC because you've got to be able to grab for submissions, but you still got to be able to punch somebody. So fingers to the eyes and things like that happen. But fans in attendance at Mexico City Arena, they were just, they not happy. Uh, let's just say that booing lustily, throwing garbage into the octagon, uh, debris was just hurled. Uh, Stevens was rushed from the cage by security, and of course Rodriguez was also mad about what happened. Got into a brief scuffle with security, and of course Michael Bisping, the former UFC champion, was there trying to get an interview, and that didn't happen. Uh, and again, it was it's disappointing for things like that, but unfortunately, fights like that happen. It does suck that, of course, it was your first fight back in Mexico City in a while. and it. Ha- but again, an ugly scene. Hopefully, they'll come back, have a rematch, and things will be hunky-dory. But just uh, not fun to see. It was a mess there. And speaking of messes, how about Antonio Brown? My goodness. This is pretty much, unless something happens with the sexual assault uh, trial, the civil suit that's going to happen, or he finally gets on a new team... We're going to probably be done talking about Antonio Brown after this, as he has sabotaged himself again, of course, where the Sports Illustrated story came out uh, at the end of last week. And of course, then after all of that, he sent out a whole bunch of text messages just, you know, according to uh, the New England Patriots that crossed the line. Um, He was, you know, Brown sent all these text messages Uh, As a member of the Patriots, he was not with New England during the time period he allegedly sexually assaulted this other woman, as we've looked at with, you know, showing up after a training session wearing nothing but a rag over his genitals. We'll have to see how this goes. It's again, just you don't send out group texts for crying out loud. People are going to see those. They're not a matter of privacy at all. When you look at all of it. Now, again, we'll happen to see the Patriots were, are expected to withhold the $9 million signing bonus they agreed to pay Brown after, of course, the Raiders cut him and negated his big signing bonus. Just all the money that Antonio Brown is losing because of just self-sabotage. You look at people advising him or even his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, who's one of the top agents in the sporting world. You know they're not stupid at all. So this is pretty much Antonio Brown doing all of this himself, which is just amazing. It's just such a mess. And again, what makes me the maddest, I think, is the fact that he has just all this just incredible natural ability that any of us would just love to have, especially to play the football and get paid to do it like he, he was. And he's just thrown it all away. It's amazing. Of course, he then came out and said, you know, he's done with the NFL. He called out Kraft and Ben Roethlisberger. You know, I will not be playing in the NFL anymore. These owners can cancel deals whenever they want, anytime. Uh, We will see if the NFLPA hold them accountable. 
Uh, sad that they can just void guarantees anytime going on $40 million two months. We'll see if they pay up. Well, I mean, again, you did this to yourself. It's been collectively bargained forever that contracts are not guaranteed fully in the NFL, the guaranteed money. You've done these to yourself where you can negate this guaranteed money. This is you. It's not them. It's you, Antonio Brown. If you had just shut up and played in Oakland, guess what? You wouldn't have had... You would have all your money at this point. So this is on them. It, it, it's not on you. It, it's not on Antonio... It's on Antonio Brown. I'm, getting, I'm so worked up about this. It's on Antonio Brown. It's not on anybody else. This is one where you look in the mirror and realize, oh, it's me. I'm the one who screwed myself out of all of this money, not anybody else. And of course, he's also quoted that he's re-enrolled at Central Michigan where he played college ball, where he was a lot quieter. Um, you know, shows a list of four classes that he's doing online, introduction to management, technical writing, death and dying, a religion course, and racism and equality, which of course is a sociology course. We'll see where it all goes. Again, just a terrible, terrible mess that he has gotten himself into, and it's frustrating to see. And again, we're not going to talk about him on the show until some other actual breaking news happens with Antonio Brown. Until then, that's what I think of Antonio Brown, because we had a great weekend again of NFL football in Week 3. What a great duel between Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes of the Ravens and the Chiefs going at it. Pat Mahomes was great throughout. Lamar Jackson clutch at the end. Still was not able to get the win in Kansas City. But again, a great matchup. I hope to see that one for years to come. I don't think it's going to be on the level of, say, Manning and Brady, but I love to see a great quarterback duel over years. And of course, in New York, they're already uh, crowning Daniel Jones the next big star for getting them a win against Tampa Bay. Hey, he did look really good in that performance, but it's one performance, as we always say. The other team has coaches too, so eventually they might figure some things out and know how to defend him. We'll see. But it was great you know, to see that that was happening. We look at my NFL power rankings, of course. The Patriots still number one, just dismantling the Jets. Uh, the fact that they weren't able to cover was a little annoying, especially the pick six that was thrown at the end. That was not Brady. That was his backup who threw that one. Uh, but I've still got the Patriots number one. The Chiefs, I've still got it number two. The Rams, hey, going on the road and the overhyped Cleveland Browns in their stadium the first time they've had a Sunday night game in, I think, 11 years. The Rams were able to get the win there. Of course, a lot of questionable play calling at the end. Freddie Kitchens uh, calling plays there for... The Browns, I mean, all the passes they threw and not what once maybe they tar targeted Odell Beckham. That's just confusing to me. Uh, the Cowboys just keep rising up. Uh, Dak Prescott has proved that he should get paid a lot of money next season. He's looking really good with the Cowboys. Of course, they did play the Dolphins. But still, Dak Prescott has looked great so far this season. The Ravens, I'm not dropping them too far with the loss. The Packers still just plugging away. Aaron Rodgers has them at 3-0, which is good to see. Always good to see. The NFL is better when the Packers are in the playoffs and competing for championships. Uh, the Vikings, of course, looking great so far. Uh, I've got the Saints up there as well. Hey, what a great way without Drew Brees there. Teddy Bridgewater leading them to the win at the Seahawks. That was great to see. I do still have the Seahawks in at 11 on my power ranking, uh, just behind the Texans. 
these teams, again, I think can still make a really good run and be a factor in the playoffs. My 49ers, a great win against Pittsburgh finally at home, even with five turnovers. Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners were able to find a way to win doing great rushing the football without just a feature back at all. Again, we'll have to see when the Niners actually play obviously the Seahawks and the Rams out there in the NFC West. And I've got the Bills at 3-0 in my 12 spot. Uh, we'll have to see what happens as the Bills will host the Patriots in Week 4. So we'll see if the Bills are actually ready to make a play to be one of the top teams in the National Football League. As we wrap up Shibbles and Bits, a couple of good news that came out. Of course, the story, we talked about this a few months ago. Uh, There was a New Jersey high school referee, it was a wrestling referee, he forced a wrestler to cut his dreadlocks to compete in a match. That referee has been now um, suspended for two years following the state's division of civil rights with their investigation. The Attorney General of New Jersey announced the findings. And the the investigation began, this happened back in December, uh, when a high school wrestler, Andrew Johnson, black kid, was told by a white referee, Alan Maloney, that he would have to cut off his dreadlocks or forfeit during a meet. Uh, Johnson and his coaches initially protested the decision, and then he agreed to a quick haircut, which was just awful. Uh, The team trainer performed the haircut. He won it with a takedown in overtime, but again, that just... When you talk about hair and things like that, especially when it comes to dreadlocks and African... It's just awful when you look at it. Of course, they look at the rule where they talk about the rule 4.2.1, which governs the length of an athlete's hair, and the athlete must wear a hair cover and all of that. But again, dreadlocks and things, that's something I am not messing with when it comes to things. Just, again, we talked about this with the swimmer and the, the, the you know, getting a wedgie. It's like, unless they are egregiously doing something to break these rules, just let it go for crying out loud. And again, the two-year suspension, some people didn't think it was enough. Some people thought it was too much. It's fine. He's punished. He's getting punished for something that shouldn't have had to happen in the first place. And j- again, don't make stupid videos like that have to go viral. So uh, hats off to New Jersey for punishing him. But again, another great thing here on Modern Day Gladiators, we always like when big things with charity happen. And this happened uh, back a couple of weeks ago. When uh, College Game Day was in Iowa City for the Iowa State-Iowa game. And uh, Carson King, he's a 20, I think, 4-year-old or 25-year-old college, or not college student anymore. But he held up a sign that said, uh, Bush Light Supply Needs Replenished. And he put his Venmo of Carson King 25 uh, up there. He held it. He was by the secondary stage where Maria Taylor uh, usually hosts her segments and different things on college game day and initially after getting like $400 within 30 minutes thought that was funny he's like okay cool you know I can supply everything but then the money kept coming and King thought and this is where my hats off goes to him there's a better way to put this money to use than just buying beer so minus the case of one bush light which is all he was wanting to have now again I'm going to question the beer again you can get much better beer than bush light hashtag not a sponsor but I, I digress. Other than that, my goodness, he decided that uh, the 24-year-old from Altoona, Iowa, and a diehard Iowa State fan was going to donate all the rest of the money 
that he got to that Venmo account to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. Many of you know that hospital there in Iowa City. It's right next to uh, Kinnick Stadium in Iowa. And the tradition now, of course, where everybody at the end of the first quarter waves to the kids in the hospital, which is one of the best traditions and newest traditions in college football that I will love until the day I die. Um, They said they're just going to do that, talk with his family about it, which was great. Um, Venmo... Uh, when he made the announcement, it was at $1,600. It has ballooned as Venmo got a hold of it. They've retweeted it. And then, of course, Bush Beer also said as they retweeted it. And now uh, Venmo and Bush Beer said they're going to match all the contributions. So total contributions with matching what's in the Venmo account and what Venmo and uh, Anheuser-Busch are going to donate. It's topped now $1 million to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital which is amazing. And hey, Anheuser-Busch is giving King uh, beer for a year, which is great. It's just wonderful. These are great uh, just stories. And again, it's up until the end of September. So if you want to donate, of course, you can go again to his Venmo, Carson-King-25 to donate. And that money goes to that Iowa Children's Hospital. But those are just great stories. I love ending shibbles and bits with great stories like that. So hats off to King and yeah, wonderful stories that shows, again, when college football fans get together for a cause, we make great things happen. Moving on and wrapping up the show, in the world of professional wrestling, not much has happened uh, this week as, uh, again, we're kind of in a holding pattern here with American Wrestling as, of course, the big moves are happening next week as Raw is relaunched on USA uh, as, but then, of course, SmackDown is debuting on Fox next week as well as, of course, uh, All Elite Wrestling will debut uh, with Wednesday Night Dynamite on TNT. So you've got all those big shows happening. Uh, so nothing just incredible happened. Uh, Raw was was still very entertaining. They had some really good wrestling there. The big one, of course, was a fatal five-way elimination match won by Rey Mysterio. He will get to challenge uh, Seth Rollins for the title on that season premiere of Raw. Again, which is weird because the next week he's taking on The Fiend in Hell in a Cell. But I guess if Ray wins it, he'll face The Fiend. The Fiend did show up as Bray Wyatt's alter ego uh, just destroyed Braun Strowman at the end. And, of course, has completely freaked out Seth Rollins, which, again, is great. And whoever is in that Hell in a Cell at at that paper, pull the trigger and put that belt on Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, because that's where it belongs at this point. Meanwhile, as I mentioned it last week and even predicted it and it came to fruition that Tuesday night on SmackDown, Brock Lesnar will challenge Kofi Kingston uh, on the season premiere of SmackDown on Fox. Not a surprise there. Not gonna, it, I, I would be completely shocked if Kofi retains there. They're going to go with star power and have that belt with Brock on Fox to get the ratings up where they need to be. So uh, we'll, of course, break all of that down and preview more of that next week on Modern Day Gladiators. But we are going to end it there for this week. Of course, follow me, Michael underscore Shibley, on Twitter and wherever you can find Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook. And, of course, like, subscribe, share. Five-star reviews, people. I will love you forever for every five-star review I get wherever you get your fine podcast. But until on Friday, myself and Trey Pack, too sweet, love you. See you next time.